Jesse Cooper from Alphabet Flight and Creepy Critters, and you're listening to Play Comics. And welcome to Play Comics, the show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material. As always, I'm Chris, and today we have B.J. Mendelson, writer and author. Hey, how's everyone doing? And uh, comic book writer. That's totally what I was going for, and we'll pretend that everybody got that. <laughs> Sometimes, like when people say writer, I'm like, oh no, because um, you know it could be uh, it could be like a whole bunch of different things. But yeah, author and uh, comic book writer. I think it's really cool that I was able to get you on because you're an actual person who writes things in every <laughs> sense of the word. And it's just cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've had uh, big publishers, little publishers, um, I've self-published a bunch of stuff and uh, I've been, I've been lucky in that way. Uh, right now I'm actually working on a pitch for, uh, I actually, it's a, it's a licensed property and it's not by uh, Marvel and DC to not hold the property. And that's all I could say. Uh, at the moment, so you know, I'm working on actually getting published with a with a comic book publisher because the two I've released have been self published so far. So, uh, yeah, you know what's great though is that I never set out to do any of this. I just sort of fell, I, I sort of failed upwards, you know, the way that uh, Kevin Smith famously described. So I've, I've been kind of lucky in that regard. Well, we'll definitely have links to some of that stuff down in the show notes. But also, speaking of things that aren't Marvel or DC, we're here to talk today about Spawn. That's right. Spawn is somebody that I don't really know much about. Um, when, when I was a kid, we would run around and we'd seen pictures of him. But it's like, okay, cool guy in a cape. He right. must well, be like uh, Batman. So how old How old are you? I, I think I asked, but... I'm 32. Okay, so we're not... So we're pretty close in age then. Uh, because I had I had a very similar experience where... You know, I was at the comic book store every week in Chester, New York. Uh, it was SJ Comics and Cars, and they used to always have... Uh, these just these huge beautiful posters for spawn but i had no idea what the hell it was like i just didn't you know at that point i was too young to buy the comics myself uh, so i was kind of dependent on uh bumming whatever comics my older brother was picking up which was mostly x-men at the time um but yeah i mean i think it's easy to forget now 20 years on but there was a point in time where spawn was everywhere and you you could not escape it See, I wasn't lucky enough to have an older brother to get me into that kind of thing. Oh, how'd you get his comics? Randomly. I would grow up playing the games and okay. I would watch the cartoons, but it was just nice. somehow like we, my dad was military. So not having to move around with comics was kind of a benefit in itself. Right. You know what I found? Uh, a lot of people in their thirties and younger seem to have gotten into comics through other media instead of comics. Like I've I found this pretty consistently uh, across everyone I've talked to, all independent creators, people who are working at Marvel DC, all of them that are our age and younger have said, you know, it was, it wasn't the books, it was X Men the animated series and the toys and the Spider Man the animated series and it was uh, Batman the animated series and that that's what got me into the characters. I never actually read a comic until uh, I was old enough to afford it, though like a decade later. Yeah, I grew up reading the ones in the newspaper and like I had a couple 
issues of things here and there, but it was mostly Disney comics. Right. <laughs> Those were always good. So what got you into Spawn? Uh, you, you couldn't escape it, honestly. I think, you know, kind of tying into what I just was mentioning, there was, uh, again, like, I can't emphasize enough how big Spawn was. Spawn was so big that HBO had an animated series, uh, which is now actually up on HBO now, which people can go back and watch. And so I think that was sort of the thing that sold me on Spawn and then the comic. And then there was also the movie. Uh, I don't know if you remember the movie, but that, it was the first superhero movie to star a uh, to have a black lead, uh, which in itself made it a huge deal. And so between the movie and the cartoons, that's sort of what drew me into the character. Like I had already had an awareness of it, uh, but it wasn't until I had saw it in, in other media where I was like, okay, I, I get it. He looks like Spider-Man, but he's kind of like an agent for the devil, but he's also doing his own thing. And uh, you know, the one thing I could say about Spawn is that the, the digger you deep into that character, the more confusing it gets. Uh, so Agent of Hell, I, I found is like the tagline that that sort of drew me into it between the movie, the cartoon, and then later the comic. Yeah, I'm going to date myself a little bit with this one, but just the other day I noticed that Humble Bundle had a Spawn bundle. So I got it, and then of course life goes and kicks me in the nuts. I haven't had a chance to actually look at any of it yet. Right, as, as it usually happens, right? <laughs> oh, of course. It's the only time they ever have something cool like that. Right. No, I, I know that feeling, though. Like, I, I know it's like, oh, my God, this thing is amazing. Uh, oh, I'll give you a good, good example. I have the the Absolute Edition for Preacher, and I have not read it, because every time I go to read it, something stupid seems to happen. And I'm convinced that the book is now, like, cursed. So uh, that's usually how it goes, though, is you, you get something you're really excited about, and you just get totally waylaid. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Spawn's history? Because I'm pretty sure that I would okay. screw it up. <sighs> like the simplified version is this guy. You want me to talk about the character specifically and not like the history behind the character? Because the history behind the character is more fascinating. Oh, let's hear that then. Okay. Because like, Spawn, Spawn, like a lot of the early 90s image stuff, uh, is very big on looking cool and not so big on actually good writing. So, like, he's, you know, I, I, you know, I hinted at this a little bit, like, where he's sort of like this special forces character, but then he dies and makes a deal with the devil and then decides, oh, this is a bad, or Malbolgia, which is like a, a form of the devil, and then he decides, oh, this is a bad idea. And, and so it just sort of gets, like, really muddy really quick in terms of, like, what the character wants and what his motivation is in the way that a lot of characters uh, were back then. So the story behind Spawn, though, is more fascinating because Todd McFarlane and the other creators that jumped ship, I think Rob Liefeld was one of them and Jim Lee. Um, I, Jim Valentino was another. I can't think of all of them off the top of my head, but there was five or so big creators that sort of jumped ship uh, from Marvel because they, they, I think it was Jim Shooter at the time who was the EIC at Marvel. And they had decided, hey, I, I'm not making any money doing this. I don't make any money if you make a cartoon uh, I would like to actually own this stuff. And I think that that, you know, that's particularly resonant today uh, where you see, like, you know, uh, you hear stories about, like, Bill Mantello and Rocket Raccoon. And, uh, you know, they, there was a little bit of a of a push in order for him to probably get the money uh, from Marvel, and you know, aside from just being credited for creating the character. And so the image creators were a little ahead of their time. Uh, they jumped ship. They formed their own company. Uh, there was a lot of, like, companies like this in the early 90s um 
And so Tom McFarlane, who had, had this tremendous run on Spider-Man, you know, uh, decided to create the flagship character, which became Spawn. And, and that's why it's, you know, it's not a coincidence that the first issue of Spawn, I believe the cover is like reminiscent of uh, a famous Spider-Man first issue, because it was kind of McFarlane saying, yeah, we're doing it my way. Uh, so that, I mean, that's sort of where Spawn came from and where the other 90s image characters came from. Uh, it's it's sort of fascinating as like a, a time capsule because, you know, to, you know, today we talk about some of these issues around uh, who owns what work and who should get compensated. But the image creators, including McFarlane and Spawn, were ahead of their time. And then you look at what's happening today with the character. Uh, you know, if McFarlane had created Spawn for Marvel, he would have no control over it. But here we are today in 2019 and there is a movie with Jamie Foxx that Todd McFarlane is directing. Uh, that that's starring Spawn, and he's able to do that because he owns and controls the character in a way that he couldn't under Marvel. So that I mean that those are the highlights that people need to know about Spawn. I, I think that everything else you kind of need to know about the film, uh, regardless of whether or not you like the film, uh, the Marvel the the, uh, the movie for Spawn kind of covers everything else I might not have touched on. Yeah, and me being somebody who really likes seeing people get paid for their work, that's just really cool. That they would, you know, break off of a major publisher like that in a time when people weren't doing that quite as much and you didn't have the super easy distribution methods we have now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like today where Image puts out all sorts of... I mean, half of the comics I own now are Image Comics. And, you know, it wasn't like that. It was just, it was... What they did at the time was something that was shocking. A lot of people predicted failure. Uh, the, you know, they were like, oh, you guys will be back in Marvel in no time. Uh, so... Again, like we're we're talking about and the video game that we're gonna talk about today, yeah, we're definitely talking about this moment in time that I think a lot of people are forgotten about. Yeah, because today I can go up there and like, oh hey, I have a Kickstarter, help me make my thing. Exactly, and, and it goes, and that just wasn't possible back then. No, you couldn't do it, you because you know, the distribution itself was controlled by one or two companies, and Marvel and DC were the only ones that had like this major distribution. The only other, at least this is true, growing up for me. The only other comic that I was able to purchase uh, was at the supermarket, and it was the Archie comic, Sonic the Hedgehog. So, like, in, as a kid in the 90s, your only options for comics were Marvel, DC, or whatever someone brought home uh, from the grocery store. Uh, you couldn't have just gone out and said, I'm going to do Spawn, and I'm going to put it, you know, it's going to go direct the market, and Diamond's going to carry it, uh, and I'm going to get it in all the stores. Like, this, yeah, the 90s get a lot of crap. Um, and a lot of it's justified from comics historians and comic book fans that are old enough to remember it. But I, I think that there was some really big positives in this. Uh, the success of Spawn is one of them. It's just so much more fascinating than I ever thought it could be. Yeah, I, I recommend I feel like there is... I know Sean Howe wrote uh, The History of Marvel, and he has an entire chapter in there about, about those guys leaving. I, I want to say that there is a documentary or a book uh, if there's not one, it, there absolutely should be that because I think it's a it's a really crazy story. And I mean, you look, I just put it in perspective. How many comic creators do you know could say they owned an NHL team, and, and like Todd McFarlane? Like you see, only one. Like he's uh, that's how much money he had at one point. Wait, are you serious? Yeah, he owns at one point the Edmonton Oilers. That's really cool. A lot. A lot how of did I not know, know that? Yeah, they even had this really cool third jersey. It was like a drop of oil like uh, that was sort of cutting through the ground that McFarlane had designed. So 
just to give you an idea of like how successful and how big Spawn was for him, he was able to, I don't know if he owns them today, but uh, at one point he was the owner of the Edmonton Oilers from, and it all came from this. So it looks like now the Oilers are owned by the Oilers Entertainment Group, which then has some other groups in it. And at this point, I'm just not willing to dig down and see how many <laughs> levels deep I have to go to find a possible Todd McFarlane. But they also definitely don't have that really cool jersey you were describing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm looking on the Wikipedia page to see if I can uh, find it real quick. It's it's beautiful, though. It looks so good. Um, if you can find it, I, I highly recommend it. At some point during the week, I will find an excuse to put that jersey up on Twitter and everywhere else where people go find the pictures. That's the jersey, the, like, the, the teardrop oil jersey. Uh, is what he it looked it looked really good on the players oh that's so better. cool and so i mean you know that's that's something that we, we just it, you cannot name a single like maybe bendis like maybe bendis has done really well for himself to the point where maybe you know he could he could play the owner or co-own a minority owner team but at mcfarland is the only one that is so cool it's just another example of the comics world stretching out way more than I ever thought it could. Yeah, I, I mean, and this it, it, Spawn is definitely one of those properties that's done that. I mean, if you look at it, I, you know, I mentioned the HBO animated series, which again is so good. Uh, I can't recommend that enough for people who who might not remember it or uh, or who just never saw it. Uh, you're talking about movies, you're talking about toys. I mean, Spawn for a character that. Nobody, I mean, what was crazy about that character is that he just looked cool. You know, like, there was just a lot of fans who bought that book because of the art, because it was McFarlane, and knew nothing about the story and really didn't care. Like, they just, he was so cool looking that it's really allowed for him to just jump into all these different forms of media, up to and including video games. Yeah, because one of the things I kept hearing people say as I was doing my research here and watching videos on YouTube and stuff was... That first issue was Spawn selling like 1.7 million copies. Yeah, yeah, and that's without I. And don't I don't know if this is true. This will have to be fact checked. But I don't believe they had like a hologram or a foil or any of the any of the ridiculous stuff that they were doing in the 90s. Like I think it was just on the sheer power of hey, look at how cool the character is. It's Tom McFarlane. Uh, it, it's all like X Men number one also sold over what well, sold well over a million copies. So. Yeah, it, it's hard, again, like, it's hard for us in 2019 to picture how big this book was, but back then, it was it was everywhere. You could not escape it. Yeah, I would see the same thing there with, you know, no variant covers, no reason to buy more than one at all, unless you just wanted to sit there and hope it got expensive later. Yeah, you know what's great is that a lot of comics today, well, it's not great, it's bad for the industry. Uh, you know, like, the top-selling comic does what, maybe... 218,000 copies like at at its best uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me but they're not huge so to say hey this comic sold over a million copies I mean that's that's at least twice what you see the, the top comic today selling so it's just the industry itself is not done as well uh, since Spawn but I, I think it's just it's easy to forget uh, how well this book did so Batman Who Laughs number one from December of 2018 was 220,000 copies. That was the, the top selling comic for the month. I mean, you're talking about 1.4 million for, for Spawn number one. I mean, that, that completely dwarfs that. 
that's ridiculous. And I mean, part of me is thinking maybe every all the comic sales are just spread out across different titles, but I know that can only account for a small number of copies there. Yeah, I mean, so this I don't know if we're getting off track or not, um, but I mean, like one of the things that's, that's happened is the industry is uh, Glenn Weldon from NPR calls it like the great inward turn. Uh, he's got this book about Batman called The Cape Crusade, which is about you know the history of Batman and popular culture and how Batman has changed throughout the history. But one of the things that he he touches on is that the comic industry sort of pulled itself back from having the comic available all over the place to only having the comic develop, you know, at like your local comic store. And doing that took uh, a lot of the discoverability away from comics where people, I mean, like, you know, I had my older brother, but a lot of people that I talked to had aunts and uncles and moms and dads who brought comic books home for them. And they just found it at any given, you know, they might've been at a different store and they encountered a book where today that doesn't really happen. Like, you know, you look at, uh, Walmart's got like I think it's like the hundred page giant or whatever it is, uh, and that's it. Like that's the most you could find outside of the direct market. So what's happened is the industry, at least for the floppy paper comics, has, has contracted to a point where, unless you're actively going to the store and seeking out the store, uh, you cannot buy these books. You know you can't find the Batman who laughs. You, you got to go and find a local store. And if you're like me, who lives in upstate New York. Uh, and doesn't have a local comic store, you're, you're sort of SOL. I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I know the one local store we have, they're kind of assholes. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing too, right? Like it's, uh, I went through that with, uh, so I was married for a little bit and, uh, you know, I was trying to get her into comics. And I just remember the experience of taking her to a comic book store was not, was not good. Like the, just the people were rude and kind of dismissive and, you know, like the, the stereotypical, oh, that's a girl comic. Like that's that's the book that you should read. Like that was sort of what we got. And um, that was like the last time she ever went. Uh, and that that's unfortunately very true. And what's what's great about digital comics, for you know, they're not perfect, but the audience for digital comics uh, is much more diverse uh, in terms of gender, in terms of color, in terms of uh, orientation than it is with the direct market. And so I, what I found is that a lot of readers today who otherwise wouldn't have discovered books or now discovering them, thankfully, uh, through things like Comixology because going to the comic book store in a lot of cases sucks. Well, for long-time listeners of the show, you know we've usually hit on more of the character history side of things. But I think on this note, we'll drop some <laughs> promos for a couple shows and we'll kind of twist all that in with the game. Hello, it's Heather from the Sunshine and Power Cuts podcast. In association with Geeks Rising from the 9th to the 16th of March or 10th to the 17th if you're here in New Zealand, 2019, we are hosting the first 2019 Sunshine Summit. It's a week of live streams with amazing content creators and the theme of celebrating connections. All of the details for the upcoming summit as well as replays from our previous events and where the live streams will be happening can be found at sunshinesummit.live. A huge thank you to the patrons of Sunshine and Power Cuts for making that possible. So check it out. And if you know the guests, we'd love for you to come and celebrate with us. And if they are new to you, come along, learn more about them, and we look forward to celebrating connections with you. Hello, I am Adam Higgins from the Odd Dad Out podcast, where normal is not my specialty. What does that mean? Well, 
I, I just can't do one thing, now can I? Every week-ish, I give you a sampling of whatever is going on in my head, whether it's personal stories, rants, ramblings, or just spending a day to nerd out a bit. Plus, I make fun of some weird news stories, and I tell you about a podcast that I think you should check out because sharing is caring, right? So if any of that sounds up your alley, subscribe to Odd Dad Out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice, and check out all the past episodes, merch, and all the other fun goodies at odddadoutpodcast.com. Those are some great shows you should check out, but first let's finish up with this one. So, BJ, um, I want to throw out right at the beginning here, the official title for this game is Todd McFarlane's Spawn, the video right. game. I am not going to say that the whole time because that's ridiculous. <laughs> he was he is so good at putting his name. Like, he, if, if uh, yo, we lost Stan Lee last year, and for a hot minute, I thought for sure Todd McFarlane was going to be, like, the next Stan Lee. Uh, he's kind of pulled back a little bit, but... Uh, you know, he learned that from Stan Lee and putting his name in front of everything. So, yeah, the, the video game is a great example of, of him doing that. I want to say there's a Jim Lee game, too, where it's Jim Lee's whatever. I think you're right. I need to go look at that because it's one I obviously haven't covered yet or I know it off the top of my head. But, wow, I mean, there is it just like a whole giant image? Like, we're going to do this all over the place kind of thing? So this game, I mean, in essence, it's a side-scrolling brawler. Yes. Yeah. It's it, this is uh, I think we talked about this off air. Uh, it, it's funny that we're talking about Spawn and, and tying back to what we we're talking about before the break. Uh, this game itself, I mean, Spawn is a time capsule in the 90s, but this game itself is totally like if I if I told you to close your eyes and say, imagine the most stereotypical 90s like video game. Uh, you might think of a fighting game first. You might think of like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat, but I promise you the second one is going to be uh, a side-scrolling beat-em-up, and this, this, uh, this game is the most '90s thing ever. It's you know, it's got Spawn, it's got the Final Fight game engine, uh, you know, it's got the life bars and everything else. So it's it's very much of its time, and I love it for that. There is no question at all when this game came out. <laughs> exactly, and I mean, I love this era of games, so I'm cool with that. Yeah, I do too. I mean, this is what I grew up with. You know, like this this was. For me, you know, I had every Final Fight knockoff that you can think of uh, at one point. I, I probably owned all of them. Uh, and I couldn't, you know, because uh, I don't know if you remember, but the, the Batman Returns game uses virtually the same engine as the Spawn game. Like, they're virtually the same game. There's just uh, a different coat of paint. So I just couldn't get enough of it at the time. I just thought that that, that style of game was so much fun, especially when you're little. You know, like, as I got older, I, I, I tended to... Uh, you know, like I'm what part of that, and I think you're part of that generation too, where Final Fantasy VII came out and everyone was like, whoa, you can, you could do that with a video game. But up until that point, uh, it was racing games, beat em ups and, and fighting games. And that, that's all there was. And... Yeah. Cause definitely everybody I knew before Final Fantasy VII, RPGs are for giant nerds. Yes, that's right. Now look, now look at it, right? Like now these are the, some of the biggest games that come out. I but yeah, I remember that distinctly. Like I had uh, Final Fantasy for the NES and then Final Fantasy three, which is actually Final Fantasy six uh, for the SNES, and I remember getting that all the time. Of oh, why do you have this? This is stupid. Uh, what else do you got? And so I would always have to put on something like Spawn or Final Fight 
Uh, so yeah, like that's, again, like this game is totally a, a time capsule in that regard. And like, I, I can't, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how old the people are to listen to this show, but it doesn't get more 90s in a game, number one, by acclaim, because acclaim was everywhere uh, in the 90s, two for the Super Nintendo, three featuring Spawn, and four featuring like the, the Final Fight uh, engine. Like the, this thing is just, uh, just absolutely ridiculous in, in how of its time it is. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, you know, I've actually played it too. This is one of the things that I, I owned. Uh, I can't, it's, there's nothing remarkable to it though. Like it's sort of hard to comment on what made it stand out because to me, you know, if you look at, for people that are like Google uh, images of the game, you'll see like the first thing that comes up is the image of like the boss and there's a life bar that just says enemy. Uh, <laughs> which is also kind of another side of, um, you know, during the nineties, it was like this flood of like low effort uh, licensed games, especially for the Super Nintendo. I don't know if you ever played Wayne's World uh not Spawn on purpose was, yeah exactly right like but i was one of those people who stupidly bought it um you know not realizing how terrible it was because i was in elementary school like what did i know but uh spawn was at least compared to the other licensed properties uh at least a little bit more enjoyable yeah i mean this game certainly isn't horrible by any means um you go through if, if you like the side-scrolling beat-em-ups you're gonna like this one. It's exactly. kind. It's kind of like Donkey Kong in the sense that it has a 3D looking environment, but you don't get to interact with the world in a 3D way. Yeah, it's a little bit. Did they come out before Donkey Kong Country? Donkey Kong Country came out '94, and this came out in '95. Okay, all right. So this is after uh, the whole Mode Seven thing, uh, where they were they were talking about that you know. <laughs> The capabilities of the Super Nintendo have not been uh, fully tapped. Now look out, everybody! We've got 3D, uh, which of course you know it's not quite 3D. Although the graphics, I gotta say, like th some of the boss villains look like crap, but some of the other boss villains, if you go and for people who, who might be listening to this and want to do like a quick Google image search, like some of the the, the rendering looks really good for for a game of its time. But you know, for for all the comparisons to something like a final fight it looks better than final fight ever did as far as i can tell i mean it's super obvious who everybody is in here if you know right. who they are anyway that's true. i mean you can tell who spot is uh my, my favorite thing is there's there's uh overkill is in there and uh you don't need to know who that character is all you need to know is he's got like these ridiculous shoulder pads uh and the game the game's engine in terms of the graphics is good enough where you could like distinctly point to that character and be like, okay, I know exactly who that is, and this is the most 90s-looking thing I've ever looked at. The other thing about this game, too, is that it has some really beautiful comic panel cutscenes in it. That's right. Yeah, that's something that's always been... Uh, yo, at the time, like that, that's something that you didn't quite see. Uh, yo, there, there were cutscenes in other SNES games, but usually it was like, they're really bad. You see the mouth moving and there's like a subtitle under it uh, kind of thing. But that's right. Like this is one of the first games I feel that, that actually felt like it was straight from the comic book as opposed to something like a Batman Returns or even the X-Men game for, you know, the Sega Genesis where, you know, it was definitely like a side-scrolling game, but it could have been any, it could have been any other property. Like, you, you know, it wasn't specifically a comic book property. And so Spawn very much felt like, you know, this is this is a comic book property. Like we we make no bones about this. 
Uh, you can go right now to your local comic book store and pick up the book if you if you like this game. Yeah, up until this point, I mean, Maximum Carnage looked That's right. good, but this makes that look like crap. Yes, this I, I agree. I think that uh, Maximum Carnage was another one of those games that was huge. You know, like that that was almost inescapable when it when it came out, uh, and. That you know, a lot of people thought that that was sort of like the high watermark for the SNES, but uh, you're right. Like this, this came out. It, it looks way better, uh, and I think that it's easy to forget because this is October of '95. Uh, so at this point, we're getting to the end of the NES's useful lifespan, because I think the PlayStation comes out what that year, right? If not '96, it's one of those two. I'm I'm always off. Oh, okay. So uh, it came out. Uh, it, it launched in ninety, the end of ninety four in Japan. Yeah, so this is, I mean, like you have to put Spawn contextually uh, with with what was going on at the time because a lot of developers were sort of bailing uh, and getting ready to do stuff for the um, for the PlayStation. I don't know if anyone knows this story, but uh, a lot of people from Sega actually jumped ship. Uh, the people that were responsible for Sega being as big and as successful as they were. Uh, jump ship to the PlayStation, so it's not it's not just oh hey here comes the PlayStation and we're we're abandoning it. Uh, you're talking about a lot of like top tier video game talent behind the scenes who weren't developing anymore for the 16 bit consoles around the time that Spawn came out. Like so this, I think Comic Zone comes after it if I'm not mistaken, but uh, this is also sort of the high watermark for for comic video game adaptations for the SNES because. Uh, you know, the following year, it's 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 all PlayStation all the time. Yeah, so one of the good things about this game, too, I think, is that it really takes Spawn's power set and uses it in a pretty imaginative way compared to what other games at the time were doing. Yeah, so are you talking about, like, the, the life bar? That's the first thing that comes to mind for me. Just the fact that he has his special moves, but it takes off of his life bar to do it. But for some reason in this game, probably because he has that kind of happening in the comics too, it doesn't feel like a cheap thing to keep you from being able to just bust your way through the whole game. Right. You know what's, what's fascinating? It's one of the few instances where something really stupid from a comic makes total and complete sense in a different media format. Because in the comic, I mean, Spawn is now tw over 20 years old. Uh, and for a guy who every time he uses his powers, he dies... A little bit and he loses his soul uh he should be dead by now right like by by all rights this character should not be up and running around if we and so the creators and other writers and artists who've worked on spawn have always had to find these like ridiculous ways to to get away from that where uh it's like all right we're gonna use his powers and it's gonna be cool but we also want to make sure he's not dead at the end of this issue and so it's always been to me anyway a little stupid in the comic, but you're right. In, in the gameplay format, uh, you know, it, it's it, you know, I think about a lot of the fighting games where you could just super your way out of uh, a lot of things at the time. Uh, but this is one of those things where you know the fact that every time he uses his powers actually hurts him uh, was was so much more fascinating within a video game. Uh, it does it does add a level of gameplay difficulty that I, I don't think you really had in a lot of the beat em ups like Final Fight where. Uh, you know, you would just hit return. You would just hit the, uh, you would just hit start and get a new character, get a new guy, and get a new life, and, and start over. Whereas with this one, uh, as you were using the powers, you know, like he, he was getting weaker and weaker. 
And I really love, too, how you've got the more Street Fighter Mortal Kombat style combos in there that you can do in a Final Fight style game. That's right. So um, I do you remember what the the Sub-Zero side-scrolling beat-em-up was called? Um, probably Sub-Zero's Game of Crap. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was not good. But uh, a lot of what you see in this game, you can see... And I don't know which one. I think the Sub-Zero game came out later. Uh, but it, it sort of had the same idea where it wasn't just punch, kick, punch, kick, punch, kick. Like, you were able to do combos. You were able to do, like, these big uh, flashy moves if you hit the right button combination. So, yeah, I, I think that this game for... It's it's easy to overlook what was going on in this game. But in a lot of respects, as much as I like to make fun of it for being a time capsule, it was also... A little bit ahead of its time for what we would see in later side-scrolling games. Things don't get thrown into a time capsule for no reason. That's right. Oh, so it's Mortal Kombat Mythologies for the Nintendo 64. It's the game I'm thinking of. Oh, I was uh, looking on the complete wrong system. Right. Uh, the, the, there was a and this so yeah okay so Spawn predates it by a solid uh, year and a half. So yeah, so the game is called Mortal Kombat Mythologies Sub Zero, and that that that, that was the huge. The attraction to that game was this is the day set at the time it was the first game ever where it was a side scroller but you could do combos and all these different cool moves which not coincidentally i think a lot of people uh left a claim that went to midway or i think there was a lot of like interrelating between those two companies so it's probably not a coincidence that spawn was put out by a claim and then later mortal Kombat mythologies was was put out by uh, midway and had a very similar system. And one of the other things I really like about this game too is that for anybody who doesn't know who Spawn is, it does a really good job of, you know, really hammering in this is who this character is. I mean, it's something that none of the other games I've seen really handled to this extent at all. Yeah, I mean that's that's been the power of Spawn though. That's that's been, you know, I mentioned people going into the comic book store and looking at the character and going, that looks really cool. Yeah, so he he has like this iconic look, and he for as ridiculous as his origin and, and power set can be, he does translate very well into a lot of different popular media formats. I think that's what made that's what's made the character enduring as well. Is that uh, you know here we are in the twenty nineteen talking about Spawn. I, I never how many characters from the nineties can we really say that about? I'm trying to think of some. And everybody I can think of just happens to be big in the '90s, but they're really a lot older. Right, like X, you know, X Men's, uh, you know, was huge in the '90s, but it's been around since the '60s. So it's it's very difficult to find a character for, uh, that originated in the '90s that now isn't either a a joke, uh, like Maggot with X Men has kind of like become this. You know, Maggot definitely has his fans, and I appreciate those fans, but like you know, that Maggot was one of those characters where you're like this. This is not. This is not going to stick, right? Like this is just someone clearly throwing things at the wall, uh, which is what a lot of '90s characters were. Or Adam X, the Extreme, uh, is another one that people like to joke about. Or X Men, actually, who now is you know uh, in the middle of a huge arc in the X Men book currently, uh, is another one from the '90s. But there's not many of them. You can probably count on one hand the characters that originated in the '90s that you know to this day are relevant that haven't become total jokes skipped over a lot of like what is actually in this game because I mean, it's a lot of walk to the right and punch people yeah there's a not... level where you climb walls 
<laughs> I mean, that's your variation right there. It's about it. Right. The, yeah, there's not there's not much to as fun as the game was, as fun as uh, discussing it is. Yeah, th there's not a lot to it where I, I think we can have like a nuanced discussion of <laughs> what makes it stand out. I agree. Because really, what makes it stand out is that nostalgia that people have for Spawn. Right. Or people trying to get into Spawn now and just using this instead of one of the other games that came out or reading the comics or watching the movies or anything. Yeah, I mean, Spawn is, Spawn is the attraction. That's, I mean, that's the power of that character. Is he, you don't need to know anything else. You just need to go, oh, hey, Spawn's in that sense. Uh, it will certainly attract an audience. So what do you think this game really gets wrong? with looking at spawn uh, it, it was not if you look at the review the reception for the game um in terms of what it gets wrong uh, i don't think it gets anything wrong I, I know people bagged on it at the time you know I, I think you know it is one of those things about video game criticism is that it doesn't age very well uh so when we talk about like what people got wrong at the time people were complaining about you know the graphics and the gameplay but you know as i mentioned you can't look at the game this game in particular is um a blip you know it's part of a larger chain of of evolution that we saw with the sides growing games and so i don't i don't think it gets much of anything wrong i mean the characters look like they do out of the comic book uh you know he's got the comic book panel cutscenes, uh which were i, I don't want to say because i don't remember what year comic zone came out so i don't want to say it was the first but i was one of the first to do that so uh i i think it, you know i i think people forget now how bad some of the licensed properties were that came out for the Genesis and the Super Nintendo. I mean, we mentioned Wayne's World, but man, that Wayne's World game is bad. Like it's, it has, like, <laughs> I can't even begin to describe all the things that are wrong within the first two minutes of playing the Wayne's World SNES game. Uh, and then when you compare it to Spawn and you're like, well, what's it get wrong? I mean, it, it there's no contest. So Spawn gets nothing wrong uh, when the floor is <laughs> Wayne's World. Comic Zone is actually a little bit older than this one. Is it? Okay. I was yeah. trying to figure out the It year. came out in August 95. Okay. All right. So uh, they're relatively close then, right? Like this was, uh, when in 95 did this come out? October. October. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking at some of the reviews that came out back then, I mean, some of them are sitting there and yes, this looks good for a 16-bit game, but it doesn't look good compared to 32-bit games. It's right. like, come on, can you just compare it to things that are on the same system and let yeah, it be done? Yeah, uh, I used to read uh, I used to read EGM, Electronic Gaming Monthly, all the time, Game Pro. Uh, there was actually one called Die Hard Game Fan, which a lot of people don't remember, uh, but was really good. So if people, can, uh, if people can go and dig up Die Hard Game Fan, I really recommend it. But yeah, there was a lot of that going on in 95. Uh, and, you know, we touched on it a bit where, you know, the PlayStation was coming. You knew it was coming out. And uh, a lot of people were already on the hype train. So I, if we forget, uh, when was the last SNES game? 1999? You know, like they, they were still putting out SNES games even when the Nintendo 64 was out. They were still putting out. I mean, it wasn't as frequent, but the SNES's lifespan is sort of ridiculous and and so it's easy to forget, like, you know, even though the PlayStation came out and everyone was all on the hype train about it, uh, the SNES kept cranking along for quite a little bit afterwards with games like Spawn. And a lot of those games were overlooked exactly for that reason of, oh, well, it's on the PlayStation, it's on the Saturn, so therefore it sucks. And, you know, look at how shitty it looks compared to 
Uh, well, I, the Saturn had some pretty shitty graphics. I don't know if that's a that's a good comparison, but you know, comparing it to the PlayStation, it it wasn't really fair at the time, but they did anyway. Yeah, looking at the Wikipedia page for Super Nintendo, um, it looks like the last few games were like end of '97, a few things getting into '98, but it's like a Frogger port and right. NBA Live, which yeah, of course, you know they're gonna downscale a sports game because that's just ridiculously easy <laughs> for sure and then for some reason they're listing Star Fox 2 just because it came out on the virtual console right yeah which is kind of a weird thing that's cheating yeah uh but my, my point is that you know like even even today like you still sometimes see these weird odd ports I think that last year there was a Dreamcast game that came out if I'm not mistaken did you see that I don't remember what it was but Dreamcast games you seem to get one or two every year. Right. It's weird. But so my point is, though, that we, you know, at the time, it was really easy to overlook that this system was still alive. You know, that it was still, it was very easy to make fun of Sega with the 32X and Sega CD. Because uh, I, believe me, I, I was one of those suckers who bought all of those Sega components. Because um, I thought that that, you know, they were going to put out true next generation games and they didn't. So, you know, these games, I think, are often overlooked for that reason. And so I'm kind of glad that we were able to talk about this because, I, you know, I, for me, growing up, like, yes and yes was, was the system. You know, I had a PlayStation, but uh, I, at that point I was getting older and I was sort of getting into other things. But, like, the yes and yes was the thing. And I think we forget, like, just how long of a lifespan it actually had. And then what do you think this game, you know, like the 20 or 30 second version, if we can do that, what do you think this game really gets right about Spawn? I think that what the game gets right about Spawn is the, the life meter. Uh, that to me is, you know, again, I, I mentioned something stupid from the comic that just, you would never think it would translate so well. I mean, we, we go through this with movies, right, all the time where something, someone wants to translate, uh, you know, like Batman to film. There's always going to be people that are unhappy with, with something that, that gets lost in translation and doesn't translate as well. And so... Uh, the the thing, if I had to pick one thing that the game nails perfectly, it's it's that it's that life meter uh, getting short because that that was a huge that was the huge thing for Spawn. And I mentioned you know like it was frustrating thing for the writers, but uh, that was always like the twist of the characters was uh, I'm all powerful, but every time I use my powers, I die. And you actually have that as a gameplay mechanic in this game. And that even comes into play if, when you get the passwords to go start it different levels again too part of part of that password is how full your life meter is that's right yeah this is uh it's it's definitely one of those things that i think you can tell a lot of attention was paid to this as it was getting translated to the snes as opposed to yeah i mean you definitely feel like tom mcfarland even i don't know if he did or not but you feel people actually gave a shit about this game i feel like they actually cared about getting these little details right and not just doing another final fight part. Maybe one day I'll be able to grab Todd McFarland for the show and we can ask him how much of a hand he had in this one. I would not be surprised if he was actively involved. He, uh, from everything I've read, I've been, I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by the guy. Like what, he's very hands-on. Uh, I mean, like, just look at what's happening with the new Spawn film. He is actually directing it. Like it, he didn't like what happened with the 1997 film. Uh, so he said, uh, you know, for a year, for like a decade, and everyone laughed at him. Everyone was like, "No one is going to give you money to to direct and, you know, do a Spawn film." But here we are, uh, where he's directing this thing with Jamie Foxx, and it's coming. 
Uh, and so that's how much he cares about his character and his properties. So I wouldn't be surprised in the least if he was actively involved with us. And then finally, if you do somebody who was wanting to get into Spawn, would you hand them this game? As yes. A, wow. So no emphatic. Question. I can't even finish the question. Yeah, no question. Uh, because you have to, I mean, you have to keep in mind until that new movie comes out, I, we don't really know if it's any good or not. Uh, and I know that there have been other Spawn games since, but uh, this is the perfect encapsulation of the character on so many different levels, on like the meta level of, you know, Spawn was huge in the 90s, so here is a side-scrolling beat-em-up for the Super Nintendo that star spot. Like, it doesn't get more 90s than that. Uh, but also, you know, we talked about the life bar and, you know, the, the comic panels and uh, just the, the ability of the character to just look cool no matter what format you put him in. Even in 16-bit, he still looks good. Uh, this would be the thing I hand to someone every time. BJ, if people want to hear more from you, where else can they find you around the internet? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at BJ Mendelson. I'm posting a, uh, a funny parody of A Christmas Carol starring Donald Trump for free over at BJMendelson.com. That's my new book. I just figured I'd do something different and put the drafts up as I'm working on it. So uh, BJMendelson.com and at BJ Mendelson on Twitter are always the places to check out my stuff. All right, we'll definitely have links to those down in the show notes. Cool. If you want to hear more from me, as most people here probably know, you can go check out the Twitter or Facebook groups or anything else like that. And if you want to support the show, you can head on over to the merch store or the Patreon. Links to both of those will be down in the show notes. Also, you can head on over to playcomics.com and just hit the support page there. If you want to hear me talk about things that aren't quite video game related, then you could head on over to meddlingkidspod.com where my wife and I talk about Scooby-Doo. And if you like the music that we're rudely talking on top of right now, you can head on over to soundcloud.com slash best-day to check out Best Day's music. It's some really good stuff. But other than that, just grab a game, grab a stack of comics, and go find yourself a new favorite character. Yeah, because things don't get thrown into a tongue-tied... Man, this blooper reel is going to be amazing. (laughs) 